This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. And you'll never miss another episode. This is episode 23, and in this episode, I sit down with Gene Mueller of Flying Fish Brewing Company in Somerdale, New Jersey. Gene gives me a breakdown of how he started a website back in 1995 that was kind of like a this old house meets the world wide web, giving people an inside look at the brewery and how it works. Well, it worked all right because they're one of the biggest breweries in New Jersey right now. So, if you're sitting home right now, not doing much, you should crack open a beer, preferably a fine fish one, and enjoy this lovely podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin, and this is the Brew World Order Podcast. Today I'm with Gene Mueller of Flying Fish Brewing Company in Somerdale, New Jersey. Gene Mueller had experienced many professions growing up, from construction to journalism to being a cook in a restaurant. None seemed to interest him more than when he started homebrewing back in 1980. He wound up winning his first homebrewing contest he entered. Soon after that, he came up with the idea of owning his own brew pub. He decided to enter the oldest brewing school in America, Chicago's Siebel Institute of Technology, and then came the really hard part, getting investors to buy into his idea. Well, with plenty of persuasion, he made it work, and in 1996, he opened Flying Fish Brewing Company. Gene? Hey, how you doing? Thank you for being with me. Appreciate it. Oh, happy to be here. So, can you talk tell- about my favorite subject? Yeah. Can you tell us about how you wound up finding that funding? Sure. So I'm what you would call a uh, reluctant entrepreneur. I was never one of those people that like had to start their own business, had that drive. I just got this idea when I saw craft brewing kind of taking off around the country when I would travel and, uh, you know, thought there was an opportunity here. So um, just kind of got into that. You know, I had a job. I was working 40 hours a week, four weeks vacation, and then turned into something where I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. But uh, yeah, I didn't have really a lot of money. I don't come from a wealthy family. I don't have wealthy friends. So, you know, you would go around. I'd go around with my business plan and say, hey, here's the, here's the idea. And they're like, so let me get this straight. You never ran a business. You never ran a, a brewery and or never ran a restaurant. Is that right? And I'm like, yeah. And you want me to invest? I'm like, yeah. So that, that went about as well as expected. Right. So I then, the, at the time, there was this new thing starting to hit called the, the World Wide Web. And it, it's pretty hard to believe in 1995 when we did our first website, there was no Amazon, there was no Google, there was no spam. Right. It was just like a, a different world. So I had some friends program a rudimentary website and we launched it on Labor Day uh, 95. And it was called kind of... Uh, the world's first virtual microbrewery. I, I described it as this old house meets the World Wide Web. And, you know, it would do things like, now it's called blogging before there were blogs. Right. Just do, you know, our updates, have, you know, little surveys for people to, uh, you know, just questions they had about the business. And from that, we were selling T-shirts and pint glasses. Our first T-shirts didn't have a location because we didn't have a, a building. And, you know, sometimes it's just better to be uh, lucky than good. 
and <laughs> I just kind of stepped into the, the right, I was at the right place at the right time. I mean, even the, the big news, you know, we're right outside Philadelphia, so the Philadelphia Inquirer, I sent them a press release. They didn't even have internet access, so I had to report at my kitchen counter with my old Apple laptop showing them this is what the World Wide Web is. Really? So wow. So got a lot of attention, and Interesting. that kind of led to a bank getting interested, and it led to some investors um, who said, okay, if this guy can do this and start selling you know, all this merchants and creating a brand without, you know, doing it virtually, you know, maybe he can do something when he's got a real uh, building. So it took, it took two years, but it all came, kind of came together pretty quickly. You know, without the web, uh, that would have never happened. Right. And how did you go about choosing the area you chose originally? Because now you're in Somerdale, right? Yeah, originally, well, I, uh, I got the idea to start a brewery when my girlfriend at the time and I went out to New Mexico to look to relocate to buy some land. And driving back, we were in a particularly boring stretch of Arkansas and started brainstorming about doing a brew pub. And, you know, all my resources are in South Jersey, Philly area. And, you know, I kind of wound up here. So we, uh, our first location was in Cherry Hill. And really, it was the only person who would rent to us. Back then, um, you know, people thought breweries, they think of smokestacks or, you know, dirty trucks and all, and smells. And, you know, it's not like now where towns are like, hey, please put a brewery on our main street. Right. Back then, it was really hard to find somebody that would be willing to to take a chance on it. So uh, we were there for 16 years and uh, just outgrew it. And then we found a great building. Uh, really only about five miles away in Somerdale. And uh, it's a cool building. It was built in 1969. It was a Motown Records pressing plant for a decade. Wow, that's really uh, awesome. Unfortunately, they didn't leave any of the albums behind. But uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's, it's got a lot of character to it. Awesome. So what was the morale of your your family when and your friends when you told them that you were doing this? Um, I mean, my family, I don't... You know, they were supportive. Uh, it wasn't like, oh my God, you're throwing your uh, your career away. Uh, they were supportive, and then friends are like, hey, just like you know, you if a buddy of yours said, hey, I'm opening up a brewery or a distillery, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, right. So, but it was such a new thing. I mean, when we opened up, there were maybe 500 breweries, 600 breweries in the country, and none in the southern half of New Jersey. Um, so it was a different time. I mean, people used to come to our brewery and say, Hey, where's the next closest, uh, New Jersey brewery? And I'd be like, well, you can go to Atlantic city, which is 50 miles, or you can go to Princeton, which is, you know, 50 miles. Right. And now from our brewery, uh, you could probably in a 10 mile radius, there's probably 10 breweries. Yeah. They're popping up everywhere. (laughs) It's just yeah. I mean, we went from like five hundred when we opened. It's probably eight thousand now. Yeah, so. it's uh yeah. Everybody wants to be a brewery owner. Uh, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yeah, right. So what's you know, something? It's, it's a lot of work. So what's something when right? You say it's a lot of work. Uh, what's something you never thought you were going to have to deal with when first initially opening? It's 
you know, I was kind of open. I, you know, I was very hands on. I, you know, people say, well, what do you do? And I said, I pretty much do what nobody else on the team wants to do. So, you know, I cleaned the bathrooms for 17 years. Right. But uh, it was just the, you know, the depth of this industry because you're manufacturing, you're highly regulated, you're dealing with a perishable food product. And it's all about marketing and sales. So you've got to wear, a, you know, we started with four people. Right. Um, so I was wearing a lot of hats and I was doing the bookkeeping, which, you know, my one year in college, I said, oh, I'm going to be an accounting major. And after a semester, I'm like, man, this is like the, the most boring thing ever. And then I wound up doing the books for like 15 or 16 years. Yeah, right. It all came back around to you. But, you know, it's just kind of being open and, you know, you know, jumping into all that because it's not like you ever shut the door at the end of the day and say, wow, that's great. My desk is cleaned off and I get everything done. So it's just, you know, you just, and I like that. I mean, I, I got into it to be a brewer right? and brewing is interesting, but you know, at a big scale, you're kind of, it's, you know, it's not like you get up every morning and say, okay, what hop can I experiment with or what can I do? It's kind of, you've got your flagships and your, your main brands and you're, you're just, you know, making those beers and making them as good as you can and making them as consistent as you can. It's not like every day inventing a new style. Right. So consistency is the name of the game pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you, I mean, you know, there's a lot of these small breweries now. There's some really good ones, but you know, you go to them and it's kind of charming that every time you go, they're all different beers and, you know, some, sometimes they always taste the same. Sometimes they don't, but it's not a big deal. Right. But you go to a store and you buy a four pack or a six pack from anywhere from 10 to 18 bucks. You better be pretty darn close to what you remember last time. Right. You can be happy. Yeah, for sure. So what were your responsibilities at Flying Fish when you first started and, how have they changed over the years to what your role is now with the company? Well, when I first started, I did. We had a sales guy and we had a brewer, an assistant brewer. So they were in the back. I was in the office. Um, Andy was on the road trying to make sales. So I did everything from, you know, answering the phone and door knocks to the books to uh, helping out on the bottling line. I mean, I did, I did it all. Right. Um, and you know, over the years as we added staff or, you know, we have 34 employees now, um, you know, I also did tours and worked the tasting room, did festivals. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of beer festivals I did, but that's what everybody did at the time. Um, you know, we started in 96. It was the same year as Victory and Dogfish Head and Yards and, you know, it was kind of a, a networking thing. Everybody just did what they needed to do. Uh, as you get bigger, you get you have more of a staff in the back, more of a structure. Um, these days, this year, I just started to step back a little bit. We hired a president two years ago to kind of take over a lot of my role, just because you know after 24 years, it's kind of the, the, the tools in my toolbox are starting to to run out. And you know, it's it was good to get a fresh set of eyes on the branding and. The, the product lineup and all of that and it, it's great so I I work with him closely I do a lot of other things but you know day to day I'm not as hands on as I used to be and I'm completely happy with that now yeah. now someone comes in with a an HR problem I'm like talk to Lou right right pass it pass it on down the road um, so 
you talk about you say you have about thirty four. What was it? Thirty four employees. Yeah, thirty four. I mean, kind of a little in flux right now with this whole COVID craziness. Right, but yeah. So that was um, kind of my question. Um, did you have to let anybody anybody go during all that? And like, what adjustments that you're that you are aware of that you had to make to keep afloat and keep business moving? Yeah, that's. Uh... You know, I thought this was going to be a, a, a great year. We had a whole new lineup of stuff coming out. Right. Unfortunately, the uh, the virus hit at the absolute worst time. We had all our summer beers produced. We had all our, our new product lines ready to launch. Uh, our biggest single customer is the Phillies Ballpark, and we do special beers for them in 16-ounce cans. That was all gone. All wow. these kegs are made, and overnight everything shut down. So right. we lost... About 40% of our customers, including, you know, the Phillies, which that's not coming back this year. Yeah, right. So we had to lay off about 40%, mostly uh, in sales, but we did lay off some production. And um, we were able to, to qualify for one of the uh, PPP loans. So we were able to bring some salespeople back a couple of months ago. Right. We just brought a few more back. So we're getting back up to... Um, normal staffing uh what happened though when there was the shutdown retailers didn't want to bring in any new products they weren't seeing salespeople, and they were like we're just filling you know backfilling what we have on our shelves so right. that's it we don't want to see anything new we don't even talk about anything new and we had several new beers and 15 packs that were just sitting in the brewery because we couldn't ship them anywhere and you know, and then all that other beer, but you know, a, a lot of people are in the same situation. So, fortunately, we were able to uh, to retail out of the tasting room just to go beer, not uh, obviously on premise. But you know, that's that's really helped, and our, our fans and our consumers and the the local communities really rallied and uh, you know supported us that way by coming by and you know buying a case or two for from us. Right. So, uh, who do you think inspired you the most in the brewing industry? Um, that's there were a lot of people. I mean, at Siebel, I met. You know, I got into it. I mean, I was a home brewer, and it's like craft beer is the the ultimate, and and you know everything else is just you know watery yellow. Uh, you know, junk. And, right. you know, at Siebel, they were known, they were open since the Civil War, and they had, there were brewers when I went to school there from all over the world, big companies, small companies, and, you know, you kind of realize, like, hey, all beer is good, number one, and number two is, you know, we're all dealing with the same issues, um, you right. know, different scale. So, that was really good. Um, you know, just to kind of open your mind that way and not kind of, uh, say, oh, it's a big company, so, you know, their beer's bad. It's just, you know, you open your palate. So there are a lot of people I've met over the years. Um, you know, when I was putting together the brewery, yeah, I used my writing background, so I was working for the New Brewer magazine, which uh, was the, the industry national publication at the time. And I was able to get a network. I would interview someone, 
and say, hey, do you have a second? Can I take off my reporter hat and put on my startup hat right. and, you know, pick people's brains? So there were, you know, Alan Newman from Magic Hat was really helpful. There were a lot of people that, uh, you know, were more than willing to share, uh, you know, advice and resources and contacts and things like that. That's great. So, like, when all this, when all these pressures kind of build up from, like, like things like COVID, for instance, uh, I'm sure it's not easy to deal with. Um, how important is a mental break for you, and what does that look like? Well, I ever since I I walk like four miles a day, and ever since this pandemic hit, I've to like six or seven, right? Uh, and just you know, either put on music or a podcast, uh, you know, and just kind of get a step away from it. And you know, we're we're fortunate. I mean, the beer industry is you know, one of the best industries in the world, even if it's a bad day, you're still doing something that so many people would, you know, die to be, you know, working in this industry. So it's, you know, you go to, you know, we had an electrician and I said one day, I said, so what do you like most working about here? What do you think that's different? He goes, well, I go to a party and people say, what do you do? And I say, I'm an electrician. They're like, okay, and move on. Right. But if he says, hey, I'm an electrician at a brewery, people are like, tell me more. <laughs> now, wait a minute. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's an industry that is meaningful to people. I mean, for me, some of the most meaningful stuff that happens at the brewery or when, you know, people say, hey, we served your beer at our wedding or at our kid's christening or right. we've had, now with the taste room, we've had wedding receptions at the brewery. Uh, we did one a couple of years ago. I actually officiated. I got the, uh, <laughs> wow. the minister's license online and, and did the service. It was a blast. And it's, you know, it's, it's a product that, you know, is kind of imprinted or, you know, becomes part of a meaningful part of people's lives. And, you know, that's, that's pretty powerful. That's, right, right. that's so rewarding. So what do you think has been the, the biggest change in the last five years in the industry for you? Well, I think that, I mean, just the, the explosion of breweries, and I think it's a good thing. I think there's some really good newer breweries. I think, for me, the biggest change personally is that it's kind of, you know, it's not as, the camaraderie isn't what it used to be. I mean, before, I would help anyone get started up and give advice and, you know, for what it was worth. Um, I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of folks now getting into it and it's just kind of a cool thing and you can get into it for not a lot of money, but there's not that, uh, I don't know. Um, sometimes maybe people feel like entitled, like you should be helping them or there's just, um, or I'm going to charge 1699 for this four pack. And even though it tastes like crap I'm not going to dump it right. I just think that it's a different you know and I can't say that's good or bad but I think it's just a different mindset from some of the original you know the generation that I came up in which is probably like the second generation of craft brewing right and the, even the generation after that it was more it was a significant I mean we we invested seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in 1996 Wow. which we did it cheap at the time. Right. Um, you know, now for less than 10% of that, you can, you know, be a brewery. Um, so it's a different uh, kind of dynamic. Like I said, there's a lot of great small folks opening up. I'm friendly with, 
you know, a lot of them, but it's, it's frankly kind of hard to keep track these days. I'm like, what brewery? Where? Yeah, right. Well, with that being said, you, you know, I, I hear a lot about like, there is a lot of com- camaraderie. Um, but like I said, when they, when there's one opening every day, how do you go about staying ahead of, of your competition? That's, um, and I think that's kind of the, one of the reasons that, you know, I kind of took a step back and we brought in uh, a new leader who's, you know, a little younger. It's kind of just, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more old school. I like a good, you know, crisp Pilsner or a really nice, happy West Coast IPA. But the world wants citrus, the world wants hazy, the world wants pastry stouts. And, you know, some of that I like, but, you know, I'm not sure I'd, I'm making the, I would be making the, the best decisions based on my palate. So right. it's nice to get the perspective of different people on the team and look at a little differently. Um, and, and again, we used to just have four year round beers and four seasonals and, you know, now we're putting out all kinds of, of different things because that's what the market wants. They, um, you know, what's new, what's different. We want cans, we want big cans, we want crawlers. So it's, it was, it was good to get just another set of eyes in there, get another perspective. Right. Do you still have a, a big say in what kind of beers are made for the company? I get a vote, okay. uh, but I don't want to have a big say. I mean, I, you know, I'm not the, tar- you know, the target market anymore. You know, we have to get younger with our target market. Of course. And, right. you know, we've done that. Um, so I enjoy the beers, but I'm not, you know, I have a lot of experience, but I don't really feel that, that I have the best um, handle on what, you know, to me, pastry stouts, if I never had another one, I'd be fine with that. You know, give me a nice right. imperial stout. I'm good with that. But, uh, you know, so it's kind of, I really, you know, we that's why we have a great diverse team. And, you know, we really rely on each other for that. Right. So what, what was the beer that really, that was like your gateway beer into craft brewing? Wow. Okay. Way, 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 way back when right. there was... Uh, a contract beer, Manhattan Brewing. Yes, my father tells uh, me about new, this beer all no, the time. New Amsterdam. Right. Um, so that was like one of the early craft beers. Um, I'd always been interested, even growing up, Philly has such a great brewing history. So I was never like a Budweiser, Miller, Coors guy. I was always, right. you know, Schmitz or Ortlieb's or Schaefer up in the Lehigh Valley. I was always kind of attuned to local beers. Um, and then, you know, it became Sierra Nevada, uh, go out West and, you know, New Belgium, um, right. you know, some of their, like their Abbey beers, the Abbey styles, like the double was always phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, the shoots, our first brewer came from the shoots and, you know, they still make their Porter is still one of my favorite beers. Uh, so yeah, the, the, you know, some of the early folks like that, uh, you know, Brooklyn, even some of the early Brooklyn stuff or the, the black chocolate stout is yeah, a great beer. Very good. Um, so it was, it, you know, you had to uh, um, really root for them. I remember one time I was traveling, I was in Utah, and I was at like a mini mart, and at the bottom shelf all the way in the back was this dusty six-pack of Wasatch 
Pell L or IPA. And I was like, oh man, this is so awesome. You know, at the time I didn't have the palate, it was probably so oxidized. Right, right. You know, but I, <laughs> I didn't know. It just tasted different. You right. know, and even that early on, um, Yingling Lord Chesterfield Ale, I'm like, what's this flavor? This is great. You know, it turns out it's Cascade Hops because right. nobody else was doing that. So Awesome. So what advice would you have for somebody that wants to open their own brewery? You know, I think it, it's it's a lifestyle, but it's it's hard work. I mean, it's a fun industry, but you really need to, you know, I still see folks opening up in the middle of this whole pandemic, and who the heck knows how this is going to play out. It, you know, you've got the dream, and you want to pursue the dream, but I really think you have to sometimes take a step back and, you know, look at the cold, hard reality, and I know that's hard to do because I was in that position. But I think it's just, you know, understanding that, it's not ever a 40 hour week and you know at the small scale you're never gonna you know not even not get rich but you know maybe not even pay yourself so it's it's you know i think um yeah and just being open to saying okay there's all these regulations there's osha there's you know the fda things like that and just you know, accepting that, hey, I'm going to handle all this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it. Um, a lot of folks don't think of that. They think it's just about the brewing is the is the easiest part and the fun part. And unfortunately, that's kind of the least of it. Because um, even if you make an awesome beer in this market, you got to get out there and get the word out or have great social media presence. Um, right. You know, it's it used to be that, you know, brew it and they will come, but that hasn't been that way since uh, the 90s. So, did you have a funny story for us? Uh, On late notice? Yeah, I guess it's humorous. <laughs> so, back in the day when, uh, well, we don't do tours anymore because of this, you know, back in the day, way back when, like in February, when you could take groups of people into the brewery and talk to them up, you know, closer than six feet. Yeah, right. Um, so we would always do brewery tours over the years, and it would always fascinate me. We, they weren't like drawn out, but they were very concise but very thorough. The whole brewing process, let people sniff and touch the ingredients, and um, you know, really give them that that overview. And invariably, almost every time at the end, someone would raise their hand and say, "Okay, so where do you add the alcohol?" And I'm like did you listen to me for the last 20 minutes? <laughs> and I was telling uh, a buddy of mine, he's like, oh, that's kind of like my dog, Rocky. It's like, he always knows that I always, if I'm eating a donut or a snack or something, I always give him the last piece. And he just stares at me and he gets a blank look in his eye. And it's just, you know, I could say anything. There could be a stake behind him. There could be cats walking around behind him. And he's just focused on that. He's like, that's what it must be. It's, you know, they're thinking about because we would give people a sampler after the uh, the tour. Right. And this person's probably just focused on, oh, my God, the beer, the beer, the beer. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not even, you know, like, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, just wow, 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 wow. <laughs> and uh, so that was really funny. So then after that, I was like, okay, which one? I'd start a tour and be like, okay, which one's the Rocky or which one's <laughs> So, uh, but it's fun. It's great, you know. Uh, you know, the last five or six years, there's so many breweries so that people don't really need to get a tour anymore. Before, it was like they people had been to 
bush gardens or something like that and that was their only experience right. but the nice thing about our industry is you can be one-on-one people can say oh i met the head brewer i met the owner i met the founder and it really you know it's a it's a small community-based uh business right so i have this little thing called quick fire five it's just uh five quick questions beer-based questions Okay. All right. And it's used like one to two word answers, depending. Sounds good. All right. There you go. Two words. There you go. All right. Ready? Here we go. Uh, one of your beers you'd recommend someone try? Uh, Jersey Juice. Gotcha. Favorite brewery other than your own? Wow. Uh, I know. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just shoots. All right. Favorite style of beer? IPA. IPA. All right. Um, last beer you drank that really blew you away? Okay, that's interesting. It was a uh, Bitburger Triple Hop Lager, which I guess was a collab with Ooh. Sierra, which I didn't know about, but it was it was an awesome beer. Yeah. Very crisp, but nice hop character to it. I'm definitely going to look for that. If I can get my hands on it. And uh, you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? Um, that would be... Well, for two weeks, I would go with our Abbey Double, because that's 7.2%. It's a nice drinkable beer. Uh, not too filling, but you know you get that extra value, 50% extra alcohol. So yeah, the Abbey Double. Gotcha. Well, Gene, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much, man. I really great. appreciate it. Great. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, great talking with you. Yeah, pleasure. Guys, I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast with Gene Mueller of Flying Fish. Thanks again, man. Yep. Have a good one. Hey, guys. So, that was my interview with Gene Mueller of Flying Fish Brewing Company in Somerdale, New Jersey. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ever in Somerdale, you should definitely stop by the brewery, check it out, give it a tour. Or take a look for their beers in any local stores in New Jersey. Every other Sunday I'll be posting a new episode, so stay tuned. Like I said, subscribe. You'll never miss another episode. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. Thanks for listening. You stay safe out there.